Welcome to The Bounce. I'm Bob Lapine. I'm the lead pastor at Redeemer Community Church in Little Rock and part of the Great Commission Collective. GCC is a church planting, church sustaining network and organization that's committed to advancing the gospel through local churches. If you're not familiar with the Great Commission Collective, check out our website, which is gccollective.org. And I know you weren't expecting to hear from us this quickly. If you're a regular Bounce listener, you were thinking, wait, this showed up in my feed sooner than I thought I'd be getting an episode. Well, that's because we wanted to give you a bonus episode today. I had the opportunity recently to have a conversation with a dear friend, a pastor, an author, a mentor of mine, Dr. Crawford Loritz. For many years, Crawford was the pastor at Fellowship Bible Church in suburban Atlanta, Georgia. He spent years on staff with Crew Campus Crusade for Christ, and I have benefited from his ministry So I reached out to him and asked if we could have a conversation on the subject of leadership. Crawford has written a book called Leadership as an Identity, and information about that book is in our show notes. This conversation was one we had publicly as part of our men's ministry at our church. And after it was recorded, I thought, I want to share this with the Bounce listeners. I think all of us as pastors and as leaders will benefit from Crawford's insights. So... Here's a live edition of The Bounce with Crawford Loritz. First of all, thank you for being here. It's it's an honor to have you joining us tonight. Just tell everybody the five-minute version of your background and your biography. Would you do that? Oh, yeah. Well, you know, this. Uh, I was born in northern New Jersey. Uh, uh, wonderful parents. Um, you know, they love the Lord. I became a follower of Jesus when I was 13 and a half years old and uh, finished high school, went to college in Philadelphia. It's a place called Cairn University. It, back then it was called Philadelphia College of Bible and met my wife there. At the beginning of my sophomore year, my high school sweetheart had broken up with me and I was devastated. I was hurting and I needed some time to heal. And so when I left my dorm room, I went into this other uh, building on campus and I saw this young lady there and I, I was healed instantaneously. <laughs> so, yeah, so she was, you know, I, she was new on campus and my mama taught me to be hospitable to strangers. So I thought showing her around and I was a tour guide, been showing her around now for 51 years. So, <laughs> great. Yeah. Yeah, and then after graduation, I um, I went on staff with this group called the American Missionary Fellowship. I was a national evangelist for them for about four years. And then 1976, moved to Dallas, and Tony Evans and I co-founded Oakwood Bible Fellowship. And then in 78, joined staff at Campus Crusade for Christ. It's been 27 wonderful years of my life there. And then somewhere near the early 90s, I, I had the joy of uh, coming to know Bob Lapine. And, uh, and, uh, yeah, Dennis, Rainey, and I became good friends, started speaking at the Weekend to Remember back in the early 80s. And in and, uh, 2005, left uh, Crusade uh, to uh, be senior pastor at Fellowship Bible Church. After being on staff for with Crusade for 27 years, I was at the church for 15 years and uh, retired as a senior pastor on uh, Easter Sunday, 2021. And uh Starting a ministry called Beyond Our Generation. I want to help put wind in the sails of uh, the next generation of leaders. Just be a cheerleader for them. You have been in the last two months in Kuala Lumpur and talk about where you've been. Yeah, I was in uh, uh, Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia, and then in uh, uh, Indonesia. There's a group called uh, Resource Global. That was started out of the Lausanne Conference on Evangelism about 12, 13 years ago. And uh, they had these amazing cohorts of young marketplace leaders all over the world who want to use their positions in the marketplace to be salt and light and represent the gospel. And uh, the group in Kuala Lumpur, as well as in uh, Indonesia, that whole southeastern cohort has been using my book on leadership. And so they asked me to come over and speak to them. And I was honored. What an incredible experience. And uh, so I spoke to a number of these younger leaders, as well as um, uh, several pastors conferences. And yeah, so it was um, it was extraordinary. I had a great time. Life has not slowed down since you left the pastorate, has it? 
No, it hasn't. And, um, yeah, it's a good thing too. I mean, uh, I, I didn't leave the church because I was burnt out or because I hadn't lacked vision or anything like that. I just felt like it was time for a younger leader. And, um, and I wanted to, um, while I had some, you know, health and energy, I wanted to pour myself into what I felt like is, is a core burden of mine. And so, but I haven't, haven't slowed down at all. However, I will say this, um, so when I left the church, I have an office out of my home in like over 40 years, right? So uh, Karen, has she set me up. I got a great setup here at the house and all that wonderful stuff. However, we had to, I uh, thought we might need some counseling there the first couple of months <laughs> because uh, when I would take a break, she had visions for the use of my time that I didn't agree with. <laughs> it's kind of like, honey, why are you going to break and go to Home Depot? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Crawford, uh, four weeks ago, Robert Lewis was with us, and we were talking about his definition of masculinity, manhood, which, you know, where he talks about rejecting passivity, uh, accepting responsibility, leading courageously, and expecting the greater reward. And I, I thought to myself, I think a lot of us as men think that there is a certain category of people, category of men who are leaders. Most of us aren't, but some are. And yet I'm thinking about Robert's definition, and he's saying, if you're a man, you're a leader, and that's a part of what defines you as as a man. Do you think all men need to understand leadership, understand what it is, embrace it, and and, and that it's a part of who God made us to be? Are we all leaders? Yeah, well... Yes and no. Uh, I, uh, you know, there, there is a particular specific gift of leader, uh, a biblical gift there. And uh, however, there is there is the identity, there is the function and identity of leadership too. That's that I that's embedded in the call of being a man. So in that sense, yes, uh, we have the responsibility of leading our homes, our families, our children. And showing up, and uh, and so I would say I would say yes in that sense. Now you may not have those leadership gifts and that kind of thing in, in other arenas of your life, but once you fall into that garage, you walk into that house. Hey, you're it, mm-hmm. and uh, because it goes with the territory. What What about guys who are in their twenties and and single and aren't pulling into the garage and walking into a house with a wife and kids? Do they still have leadership responsibility that they need to be stewarding? Uh, yes, in a sense of, of um, you know, I, I think everybody has, in some degree, uh, a responsibility to influence other people. And so there is that responsibility of leadership that may not be embedded in a gift, but it is a responsibility where you have to, you have to step up and take courageous action. Um, and all of us are influencing other people. So in that sense, I would say in the broadest sense, from a functional perspective, that would be accurate. You've written a book called Leadership as an Identity. That's part of what you were teaching from overseas. Yes. What's the, what's the crux of that idea? When we think of leadership as an identity, how is that different than the way we normally think about it? Well, you know, the, 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 the expression identity, what, what we're really playing off of that is that that authentic biblical leadership is an overflow of who you are. That in the Bible, uh, the only reason why a person has a position of leadership is because God is trusting them with his assignments. And uh, leadership in that regard is, is the expression of godly character. And, uh, and therefore, and I, you know, it, there are four characteristics um, or four, four traits that every great man and woman of God that God has trusted with his assignments have in common. Now, you notice I use the expression trusted with his assignments because actually leadership means categorically nothing apart from what needs to be done. The only reason why you lead is because there's something to be accomplished. It's not about the top box. It's not about the big office. It's not about the perks and all of that stuff. Leadership is completely 
functional in the Bible. It is a huge stewardship responsibility, but God's desire is to serve his meals on clean plates. And so character is everything, everything. And you can't, you can't separate that. You can't bifurcate it. You can't push it off. Um, in the scriptures, leadership is prophetic meaning that the leader has to be the portrait of the desired destination at which everything needs to arrive. So you can't separate the assignment from the integrity of the person who's, who's been given the assignment. And uh, you, 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 so that on your way to be doing something, you have to become something. And that's what leadership is all about. And that's the reason why, you know, there, there are two separate things. There, there's a, there's leadership development and there's leader development. The Bible is heavy on leader development. Leadership development is the tools that a leader would use, you know, knowing, knowing how to plan and get raise money and align things and, you know, set goals and make them measurable, hold people accountable, all of those tools. And sometimes we confuse those things. However, the Bible is most concerned, God is most concerned about who the leader is. And that the, the desire of a godly leader is that his character is always greater than the platform that he stands on. That is his aspiration. And so, that it's, uh, that, so that's what I mean by leadership as an identity. And as you're talking about that, a lot of things are coming to mind. The first thing that's coming to mind is the fallout we've seen in modern evangelicalism from prominent pastors who have outpunted their character coverage yes. um, in, in how they, their, their giftedness has carried them beyond where their character had, had grown to. And, and I hear you saying, uh, we, we overvalue the giftedness and we undersell the importance of character. Yeah. I was talking about that this afternoon. I meet every two months with some uh, younger pastors who are pastoring uh, mega churches here in Atlanta. And uh, there is a very well-known pastor here that has unfortunately taken a fall. And so, um, and all of us knew who that individual was. And so we were, we were actually sitting around talking about exactly that point that, you know, none of, our, none of us are as good as the way God uses us. And I, that's, that's very important. But the problem is that once you get a visibility, people start responding to you. Uh, they start asking for your autograph and just sign their Bibles. And I don't sign Bibles and they ask me why, because I didn't write it, but you know, <laughs> they, they, they start, you know, and that's some pretty heady stuff. And before you know it, uh, you, you begin to think that you are as good as the strokes that you're receiving. Mm -hmm. And with that, you're setting yourself up for colossal failure. And you forget that you're nothing more than a quarter inch away from stupid at any given point. And so that's, that's the reason why, you know, our communion and walk in relationship with God is everything. And there needs to be a distance between our giftedness and ourselves. So we understand, we understand that, you know, God's been hitting straight licks with crooked six forever, right? So we, we but, but we understand over my lifetime, over my lifetime, if I'm going to make it home before dark, if I'm going to finish strong and finish well, I've got to be godly. I've got to, I've got to make sure that, that I'm walking with him. And, and it's out of that overflow that, that the greatest impact will be made. It is not just about the celebration of my gifts and getting the standing ovations and the pats on my back and how many people are buying my books. Uh, that's intoxicating stuff, but that stuff will mess your head up if it's not placed on the altar. I, I uh, remember clearly, Marianne and I were listening to this together as we were driving, listening to uh, the Rise and Fall of Mars Hill podcast. And there's a moment in that podcast where uh, Mark Driscoll and his team are in Europe and they are, they, they show up at a venue and there are a bunch of people at the venue, more than they imagined. And it, it's kind of rock star status with people excited and coming, pressing against the car. And everybody in the car looked at each other and go, can you believe this? And one of the guys said, Mark looked at us and said, you know, I'm kind of a big deal. And, and I heard that yeah. and I thought, 
I could have had that thought. <laughs> you know, it's, it's easy for us to, to get seduced by the platform or the prominence or the, the people who come up and tell you that this has been meaningful in their lives or whatever else. Um, how, how have you, how do we, all of us, and, and I'm not just talking about, I, I guess I am talking about you, you and me in a, in a public platform ministry, but for all of us, we can all be seduced by thinking that we are, we, we are better than we are. We are, we deserve more than we do. How do we guard our hearts against that? Well, I think it's a daily thing. I think I think it is is it is making making my communion with God the central focus of my life on a daily basis, and not a la carte that. You know, you can have your quiet time, and then you close the door on that, and then it's back to business as usual. But you you've got to make sure that that we're communing with God on a moment by moment basis and inviting Him into every aspect of our lives. If not, then we'll compartmentalize our lives. And, and uh, before you know it, you know, we're acting like practical atheists, even though we're mouthing great spiritual terms. I think that's terribly, that's terribly important. Getting in the word of God and not just using God's word as a point of reference, but making it the context of our lives. And as a pastor, what would frustrate me the most is that, you know, we have all these people showing up at our services and coming to Bible studies and this kind of thing, but many of them never made the decision that God's word is going to be the, is going to be my identity. It's going to be the canopy under which I operate and I function. It's so, so I'm not going to a la carte my life. I'm going to integrate that. And so I, I think it's, I think it's a decision, right? It's a decision to the, uh, you know, transformation is triggered by decision. And so it's, it's deciding that and it's also deciding to live a life that has the walls down and the roof off. That the pursuit of transparency and inviting people into my life, uh, that, that, that I, I pursue accountability. You can't hold anybody accountable, by the way. That's, that's a myth. It's all voluntary, but I pursue people to invite them into my life. And then embracing brokenness as an ally and a friend. Uh, that God's going to send us these periods in our lives in which we come face to face with failure. But that, that's a friend because we've got to create, God has to create in us holy handicaps that keeps us dependent upon him and realize that he's forever the source and that he doesn't do double billing. <laughs> he doesn't do double billing. It, it, it's not about me, help, God helping me to be a better, better version of myself or God helping me to be successful. No, it's the other way around. My life is a stewardship. It's all about my life being the arena of God's activity you know, during my moment in history. And, and the glory of God is not just some theological abstract statement. It is to be a present reality that governs all my decisions and my choices and how I respond and it's so it's uh it's it's living out these things, and I outline them in the book as as these four characteristics uh the God smiles on and God trusts uh, people with his assignments who are characterized by brokenness and by brokenness i don't mean i don't mean woundedness I don't mean woundedness, but I mean brokenness let me just parentheses here um you can be you can be wounded without having been broken, but you can't be broken without having been wounded. Mm. And the difference between the two is that, you know, wounded people will often use Bible verses to, to sort of sanitize their woundedness, but they're actually celebrating the pain that they've been through, the hurts that they've been through, uh, all of these things. And sometimes they pass that off as being transparent and keeping it real and all of this stuff. But when you listen to what they're saying, there's no, there's no, there's, Jesus is not at the center of that. They're still sharing with you that they're hurt. Well, and that's not redemptive. That doesn't help anybody. However, broken people, they may talk about their pain, but they talk about how Jesus has met them in their struggle and how Jesus is helping them to overcome. And so it's, it's, it's all about him. And that, and that's a beautiful thing. And so you realize in this brokenness, 
you know, you realize that all of us, we, we, we're vulnerable. And, 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 and God doesn't use us because we have it all together. But there's this proactive surrender that you're going through. And it's a permanent sense of God neediness. That's what I, I define as brokenness. Uh, you remember we were, we were there together in 1995 in Fort Collins when Nancy DeMoss spoke on the subject of brokenness. Yes. And I remember her talking about that word and saying brokenness is what happens to a wild horse mm. that you talk about breaking a horse. She said, you're not hurting or wounding the horse. You are bringing the, the energy of the horse under the control of the rider. Yes. And when, when that horse is now responsive to the rider, that's a broken horse. And I thought that's the kind of brokenness that God is looking for in us, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. He doesn't want us to want to hurt us. He wants us to surrender to him. Right. And he says, now watch this. <laughs> so, so brokenness is one of the four things that yes. leadership as an identity is about. What's the second? The second one is what I call uncommon communion. Now that's a little bit, that's a big mouthful. Uh, by that, I mean, you know, um, the reason why God gives us assignments is for him to prove himself during the course of our lifetime. And so there are always gaps between, uh, just uh, virtually all the time, there's gaps between what he calls us to do and what we bring to the table. And the reason why there are these gaps is so that we would tap into heaven's resources to bring to bear, to translate to reality, what he's called us to do. Um, you know, the picture there is Moses and leading, you know, he had the incredible job of leading 2.5 million Israelites out of Egypt into the promised land. There, there were no scenario planning. There was no internet. He couldn't Google nothing. I mean, he, you know, it's just like, so, and God kept him on a short leash. And, you know, and, and I, I re, you read Exodus 33. I mean, this is just astonishing. He goes into this tent of meeting every day. And I guarantee you, I know what he prayed. He would go in there and say, God, help me, show me. And God would show, and God would show him, and God would show him. And the other reason why we need uncommon communion is because, listen, um, let me just parenthesis here. I have come in recent years to conclude that most people get burnt out, not necessarily because they're doing too much. Most people get burnt out because they're doing what God called them to do the wrong way. And, and, and they're doing it in their own energy and in their own, and, and in their own strength. And sometimes we're separating too much what God's called us to do from our personal growth and sanctification. And the assignments that God gives us is inviting us to intimacy and communion with him. All of those things. The gaps that we have and the adequacy we feel as fathers and as husbands, you know, and, 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 and the, the fact that we feel overwhelmed and our insecurities, all of that is a call to the 10th meeting. And it's also a call to add personal transformation. So the leadership assignments that he gives to us is not just about executing something, but it's about becoming something so that on our way to doing something, we become something and we were transformed. And that's the purpose of God's assignments in all of our lives is to make us to look more, more like him. So that's what I call uncommon communion, taking what he's called us to do and the gaps that that represent and putting it back in his hands and saying, God, help me, show me, lead me, guide me. Yeah, you know, most of us who write books on parenting and this kind of stuff, we write we write them after our, after we've made all the mistakes and there's been a little bit of redemption on it, right? Right. Well, the truth of the matter is we didn't know what in the world we were doing. We came to the principles afterwards. It's, oh, yeah, okay, that was pretty smart. Well, it wasn't you, buddy. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, you know, that's only about uncommon communion. The, the before, you, one, before you go past that, let me, let me dive into there because you're talking about something that is uncommon. So what, can you differentiate for me what common communion, what, what it looks like, what, what most of us are doing in our communion with God 
what what does it need to look like for it to become uncommon? What how do we dial that up in our lives? I think it has to do with spiritual desperation and urgency, which is the differentiation that you know, differentiating between the two. You know, there there are times. I mean, we have our regular prayer times and this kind of thing. Well, God help us today and all, all this stuff. But but uh, I think that there needs that there needs to be an urgency, and um, and I didn't say despair. Biblical desperation is not despair. But there needs to be a desperation that, and, and an understanding that we we need we need God to show up. <laughs> that we're not smart enough, and and uh, the, the I think the average Christian does not embrace desperation, and so that's the reason why we get mediocre results. By the way, <laughs> and so so I think it's I think it's embracing that sense of desperation. And realizing that, you know, God's called me to do something that, that I, I, don't, I don't bring this to the table. You know, I'm 72 years old and I finally come to the point to realize that I look over my life and I'm saying, you know what? In a very real sense, I never had what I needed to do what God called me to do up front. I mean, I had some things, but, you know, there's always been gaps. And it's those gaps. That, that was the gift. The gap is the gift. If I didn't have the gap, I wouldn't have felt the desperation. And if I didn't feel the desperation, I would not ex experience God's supernatural intervention. So that's what I mean by uncommon communion. That's good. So brokenness, uncommon communion. Number three? Servanthood as an identity and not as a strategy. And uh, let me differentiate that. That sounds a little cynical here, but, uh, you know, if you read any uh, blogs on leadership or podcasts on leadership. Somewhere along the opening lines of the opening paragraphs, they'll 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 liken, you know, they'll use the expression, um, uh, you know, you got to be a servant leader. Well, some of that, and again, I don't mean to sound cynical here, but some of that comes across a little bit um, like this quid pro quo there, you know, uh, like I'm affecting something. In other words, if I serve you, then that then of course, you owe me, and uh, because you owe me, then that's going to help us to get to where we need to be. Well, in the Bible, that's not that's that's not what the Bible means by servant leadership. You know, if you give looking for something in return, you haven't given; you've invested. And and associated with leadership is sacrifice. Associated with biblical leadership is sacrifice. It's giving up. And uh, and you serve out of an identity because you are servant. I mean, I could go almost anywhere, but the supreme illustration of that is our Lord in John chapter 13, you know, which is an astonishing text when you think about it. He's in this upper room and he's getting ready to die for these guys. Comes to the upper room, right? And there's, um, you know, my research indicates that households of some substance back then had servants. and um, and when you were the invited guest, it was the lowliest of all the servants to wash the feet of the invited guests. And that's because they walked in, you know, that climate there and that feet were uh, hurting and aching. And it was like, you know, a, a wonderful hospitality thing to do. Well, Jesus gets his upper room and he's the Lord of history. He's created these men. He's going to die for them. He's going to cry out on the cross, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, my God, my God, why have you forsaken? He, he could have played the delegation card appropriately. Peter, James, John, Andrew, but come and get some water and wash his feet. But feel this. The Lord of history takes off his outer garment. Little, little detail about the text. When he takes off his outer garment, he's wearing something called an emboma. And I think Jesus did this on purpose. The emboma was, was the undergarment that servants wore around the house when they did menial tasks. So he's even looking like a servant. So he gets on his knees, and we get all on Peter's case for complaining, right? Peter says, don't do this. And I think we would have done the same thing if we you know, knew the customs of the time. Is that to say, look, don't do this. That's the meaning. And in so many words, Jesus says to Peter, 
Peter, I want you to close your mouth because I want to teach you a lesson in leadership that I don't, I don't want you to ever, ever forget. And he washes the feet of his disciples, by the way, including Judas Iscariot, which is another leadership principle and shepherding principle. You don't choose who, who you serve. But at any rate, uh, he, he, washes their, he washes their feet. And the point being this, look, your, your, your authority to lead is in direct relationship to your ability to serve. You have no authority to lead if you don't serve. That's what leadership is about in the Bible. And the platform finds servants. And the only reason why, the only, only reason why they're platforms and positions of leadership in the Bible is because you've been trusted to serve. You've been trusted to serve. And, uh, and every great man or woman of God that God has trusted with his assignments, that's been the thing that's been their signature. And so that produces gratitude. You do it out, you're grateful. Um, you know, it keeps you from narcissism and it keeps you from entitlement and all of this. You realize that your gifts, it's not about you. It's about others. And, uh, you know, one of the things, uh, Bob, and I know you've done this your whole ministry career. I just think of the number of people you've put on your shoulders and, you know, all those years with interviews, some of the things I talk to people about family life today, one of the signatures of you and Dennis is that you would find people and give them platforms to accelerate what they were all about. And you leverage that. And God, what, the only reason why God gives us abilities and opportunities is to give, give them away. It's not to cul-de-sac these things, not to stockpile our resumes. It's all, about, it's all about the extension of the kingdom and the expansion of the cause. And so, so that's, that's, uh, that's the third characteristic. Servanthood as, not as a strategy, but as an identity. We really yeah, have right. to. We have to embrace the idea that we are here to, to make, to, to help other people uh, excel in what God's called them to. That's, that's the priority shift that we got to make, right. right? Right, right. So, you know, it, it's wrong to say, oh, don't, don't, leaders should not have power. That's, no, that, no, that's not right to say that. Leaders do have power. Leaders have stewardship. And that power doesn't belong to them. And the only reason why a leader has power is to remove the roadblocks and barriers from others from being all that God wants them to be. And so it's trusting them to use visibility, influence, resources, and all of that for the glory of God and the advancements of the cause. And that's the only reason why we have power, recognition, or influence. Okay. So brokenness. Um... What was the second one? Uncommon communion. I'm, I'm seeing if these guys know. I'm seeing if they're taking their notes. Okay. I know you know. Brokenness, uncommon communion, uh, servanthood as an identity. What's the fourth one? The fourth one is radical, immediate obedience. Obedience. Um, that that God's, God's assignments are not option. And... Uh, that there, there is a sacred trust. When we spend time uh, lining our lives up with what God has called us to be, what he stewarded us to be, the gifts and talents and abilities that he's given to us, the opportunities that he's placed before us, the roles that he's placed us in, you don't bail on those things. You don't bail on those things. And you treat them as objective assignments from God that I'm going to be held accountable and responsible for. And you pursue that. You pursue that with a heart of faithfulness. You see, success in the Bible is spelled faithfulness. And faithfulness is its own brand and its own marketing strategy. Uh, you, you, don't, you, don't, you, 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 don't, you don't put your mind on, on the... I started to say you don't put your mind on grand things. Yes, you have dreams and visions and things like that. 
but you stay focused on what he's called you to be about. And you cultivate that. There's a, there's a wonderful text, and it always grabs my heart. Over here in Acts chapter 13, when David is giving, um, I'm sorry, Paul is giving the eulogy, his eulogy of David, and he's contrasting the motivation of Saul with that of David. I'll pick it up in the middle of the narrative. Verse 22 says, And when he, meaning God, had removed him, meaning Saul, he raised up David to be their king, of whom he testified and said, now this is astonishing. This line, I have found in David, the son of Jesse, a man after my heart who will do all my will. And I, and I, I think the word will in the Greek text actually is plural. It could have been translated who will do all my assignments, my wills. And then if you drop your eye down to verse 20, uh, 36, it says, for David, he, after he had served the purpose of God, in his own generation, fell asleep and was laid with his fathers and saw corruption. All of those wills weaving the tapestry of God's purpose. Just faithfully doing the next right thing. The next right thing. You know, um, you, you two knew Dr. Bright as, as well, serving on staff and, and, um, I, re I recall in those last few years that he was alive, he had pulmonary fibrosis, which was an, is an insidious disease. And, and uh, I remember him showing up at some of the U.S. cabinet meetings that I served on with some of the, some of the other U.S. leaders. And he, could, he, was, he had oxygen and he could barely talk. But he would say this, and I, I recall this, he would say this at several of those meetings. He would call our names out. Dennis, Josh, Cantor, whatever. And he would make this statement. He said, you don't have to be successful, but you do have to be obedient. You do have to be obedient. And uh, I, I fear that sometimes we so chase the image and we so chase the recognition and we so chase these other things that obedience has become negotiated. It's become a little squishy. And, uh, and yet, as you read about the great men and women of God that really shaped uh, biblical history and even the, the history of Christianity, they had this thing about them. They would rather die than disobey God. And so, you know, when you talk about leadership, it's not a game. You talk about God's assignments. It's not something that, you know, we negotiate. It's something that he gives us. And so we embrace the brokenness that's required and the uncommon community tap into heaven's resources and translate that vision of reality. And we focus on being servants, people that, that, that give ministry and life away. And we stand in our post, this obedient faithfulness that takes us across the finish line. So that's, that's what I mean. So a guy who's sitting here tonight or who's hearing this and who thinks to himself, I just don't think, I mean, I've seen leaders. I know who leaders look like. I know who they are. I, I'm more of a follower than a leader. Should, should he just accept the fact that God made people more to be followers than leaders? And some of us are leaders and others of us aren't. Well, it all depends what arena he's in. You know, I mean, if, 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 um, he, he may not have the gift of leadership. He may not have that gift, but if he has a responsibility of leading, then I would say assume that gift within the context of that responsibility <laughs> and do it. Do it and give yourself to it. And, you know, and, and the deal is this. I mean, <laughs> you know, it's like my mother used to say, good meat makes its own gravy, right? I mean, you, 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 if you, Focus on being what God's called you to be. You focus on being what God's called you to be. He's going to touch and transform those, those arenas and those assignments that he gives to you. So you respond to him no matter what. And, uh, and those four characteristics, by the way, they should be true of every follower of Christ, every follower of Christ. But they're exponentially true of those that God would uh, trust with his assignments. And, and for a guy who says, I, I want to be a leader, um, and I'm, I'm, I've read your book, and so I'm pursuing, I'm trying to make sure that I live life in brokenness, that 
I have uncommon communion with God. I'm trying to make that paramount. I'm trying to be a servant leader. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to be regularly um, obedient to what God calls me to. And it, it just doesn't seem like I'm getting the, you know, and no, nobody's calling me out and, and signing me up to be the leader. I'm, I'm not getting the, the position that I feel like I was made for. Does he just keep pressing on? Be faithful in the small things. Absolutely. You, you know, you. Uh, one thing I notice about you, I've known about you, Bob, for a number of years. The way you phrase the question is the answer that you're looking. For. <laughs> <laughs> I discovered that about ten years ago. <laughs> and you know, the, the the deal is this. So here, here's I'll just I'll just share a little personal conviction. Okay. Um, I've never asked for a position of leadership I've ever held. I've never sought for it. And it's been, and, and you, you just need to do what's in front of you to do. And if you do what's in front of you to do, God will bring to you the assignment. God does not have a speech impediment. He, he's, he, he knows how to communicate. And, and sometimes we get so obsessed with being where we're not. I was talking to some younger leaders about this. They were asking me, what's the difference between Crawford at this age and when he was 30 years old? I said, easy. Uh, when I was 25, 30 years old, I was so concerned about where I was going to be that I missed the opportunities where I am. And you can't minister where you're not. And so until God makes clear what your next assignment is, assume that you are where he wants you to be and what he has you to do. It might seem mundane, but you do that faithfully and God will bring to you what he wants you to do next. Can a guy have an unhealthy desire to be a leader? Yes. Yes. Uh, you, you can, and this is a little bit of a hobby horse of mine. I think we have made an idol out of leadership. We've made an idol out of it. And, uh, uh, you know, and so you could be so, when, when people around me, particularly staff through the years and this kind of thing, when they over-campaign for an opportunity and this kind of thing, I, I've learned to just say directly to them, why do you want it? Why do you want it? And so, yeah, you can, you can be too obsessed with the position. Um, and I, I think what we need to do is, like I said, you know, I got to tell you, if you just cultivate faithfulness, now, now, God will give you dreams and plans and that kind of thing. And through the years, I've had these visions and plans and things. And we've seen God do some amazing things through these things that I felt like placed on my heart. But even that was God bringing that stuff to, to you. And I, it, it's always dangerous if you over-orchestrate your own life. Then you start making assumptions about God, and then when it doesn't work out, you get all disappointed. But just, just be, yes, Psalm 37, just cultivate faithfulness. Cultivate faithfulness right where you are. Love your wife and love your kids and pour into them. And when you're on your job, you know, just, yeah, good dose of Ephesians chapter four. You know, Christians should be the best employees in the world. Show up. Do what needs to be done. Don't mail it in. And God will give you what's next. Your, um, your dad was never prominently known, but you learned leadership from him, didn't you? Absolutely, man. Absolutely. My dad showed up, Bob, every day of his life. You know, he didn't need an alarm clock because responsibility broke, woke him up every morning. And, uh, you know, I, I get teared up. I, even as I get older, I get more sentimental about this. But, you know, he, nobody knows anything about him. I mean, he just was the salt of the earth. Um, you know, just loved his, loved his wife, my mother. I loved his kids, uh, provided for us. I was honest. Um, you know, he had three D's around the house. Uh, you know, I only got to tell people, I only got disciplined for three things, you know, and if you broke one of these three things, there were no negotiating. It is, you know, uh, dishonesty, 
was one of them. He he told me when I was like about five or six years old, he said, boy, when, when you lie to me, he didn't say if you lie. He said, when you lie to me, it better be the best lie you ever told. <laughs> and so dishonesty, disrespect, and disobedience. And uh, so my dad wasn't perfect. He wasn't perfect at all, but he he struggled to be the portrait of the destination. So honesty and showing up and hard work and doing what you say and integrity, all of that, um, I got from Pop. Um, I, I'm going to take you in a different direction here as we kind of wrap things up, just because you have you you have lived in the midst of the the evangelical movement from the time of the 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 awakening in the late 60s and the early 70s when people were coming to faith on college campuses you you've seen all of that to where we are today um i, I look at where we are today with maybe more concern for the state of the church and the evangelical faith than i've had in my lifetime and um, what what are your observations about where we are and what we need? Yeah, I'm very concerned. I spent a large part of my time this afternoon talking to these younger guys about the same thing because they're facing it, and every church in the, in the country is facing it. Um, yeah, look, look. Let me just be straight up with you. I I think I think we we are in danger of being sabotaged by both the left and the right both progressives as well as an extreme conservative uh, movement that both of them are rebranding the gospel that's not healthy. And we need at this point as, as never before, it, it's, like, it's like Christians are on edge with each other. We're accusing one another of be, either being woke or being, you know, uh, hellaciously progressive. And are, are all these, all these are, are being uh, Christian nationalists and we're, lobbing grenades at one another and it's not it's not helpful it, it's almost as if everybody has coffee cups full to the brim too full of scolding coffee and we're in a crowded room and we're bumping up against one another burning each other i think everybody needs to sit down pour some of the coffee out let it cool down some and then be able to have civil conversations like christians ought to have and stop all the name calling and all the pejorative language that we're throwing at one another. It is not helpful. It's dishonoring to Christ and it is divisive. It is divisive and it needs to stop. It does not represent the Savior. I am I have been embarrassed by how Christians, evangelicals have acted, how we we've said nasty, mean things and then pass that off as being prophetic. Well, it's pathetic, is what it is. And uh, so, you know, I mean, you asked me that question. I'm a little bit too old to do recreational speaking about this, these <laughs> issues. And I, I think this is the most divisive time in my lifetime. In my lifetime, this is the most divisive time among Christians I've ever seen. And it should not be. Now, don't get me wrong. I've got, you know, I'm not speaking politics here. I'm, I'm talking about gospel demeanor. And I think, you know, we should not be proud of, of chewing fellow brothers and sisters out and putting them in their place. And, um, and so and all of us need to scrape the barnacles off the cross. And we need to start talking more about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus <laughs> so, that, so that godless progressives and those people that we claim are just, you know, nationalists, all of them um, can respond to the Savior and to the hope of the gospel and remove the barriers from people coming to Christ. Because yeah. I think we're muddying the waters right now, and it's time for us to pull back. And uh, so, you know, I probably said more than I should. No, I, I think you said exactly what we needed to hear, and I'm grateful for it. Anybody got a quick question for Crawford before we, Charlie's got one. We're going to take a couple of quick questions, Crawford, then we'll let you go. Sure. Charlie, you're on. Okay. Uh, th first of all, thank you so much. This has been really, really good, um, really beneficial. Um, two questions in, in my mind. First, uh, 
there's always going to be, uh, the guys who are drawn towards passivity. Um, it's going to be part of every church. And so, um, yeah, they'll want to slide out of leadership responsibility. How can we encourage them, you know, give a good gospel call for them? Why you should be leading in the home, why you should, you know, be leading in the nursery, why you should be leading for the love of your definition of leadership. It's just, there's a problem. I'm going to fix it. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to seek to fix it in the Lord's help. Um, yeah. So how do you encourage them? Um, yeah, and- yeah. Boy, I, you know, uh, that is, that, that is the question, right? It, it, there, there, there is passivity in us. Um, I mean, a few, couple of things, men rise to challenge. And I think, I think, um, you, you got to get close to some of these guys and, and a lot of them just need to be discipled. A lot of them need, need, you know, some of them didn't have a strong engaged dad and they just need a picture of what a man is. And, uh, you, you're not going to get them to change by lecturing them and by beating them up verbally and by making them feel guilty. But I think it's the modeling of it. It's the living in community with one another. It is a spiritual drafting of a few guys who are meeting together and this kind of thing. So I think it's rushing to them and helping them to understand and giving them a vision that, you know, passivity is really destructive. It's very destructive because it, 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 it takes away from the intentional direction uh, that a man ought to be giving about, you know, the future, whether, whether it's my kids that I need to be a model for and what hard work is all about and, uh, and how, how I need to step up and, and, uh, love my wife and that kind of thing. So, so I think it's a matter of, uh, getting them in community with one another, loving them and, and just coming alongside of them and speaking hope into their lives. Uh, same question. Uh, I know f- for me, my struggle could be what you were talking about wanting to be, be somewhere you're not, um, always thinking about what's to come instead of seeing what's right now. Uh, any other words of just how, you know, in, in, in my struggle to help, tell me be like, okay, this is where you have me, Lord, let me be faithful and excel at what you have for me and not dream about what may be to come. Uh, any other words of encouragement? Yeah, I don't think it's a, a matter of not dreaming about what is to come because I think we should we should be thinking about the future and praying about the future and even planning about the future. But I also think that it's, you know, you you do understand that all I have is this moment. All I have is right now. And that I can't miss the lessons that God wants to teach me and the spiritual equity that he's trying to build up in my life and the truthfulness that he wants me to have right now, where, wherever that is. So I think it's, I think it's, uh, I think it's about training your mind to be content, to be content where you are and, and to experience and choose joy where you are and to not miss where you are now you again it's not a matter of closing your head to the future but pouring yourself into right now and uh um and i think you know you need again i'm i'm i believe that men flourish in the context of relationships the very thing that we pull away from is what we need and i think hanging out with some other guys who are similar and holding one another accountable uh would be would be helpful um you know there's also you know, yeah, there's also, um, I've been thinking an awful lot here lately that there, there are three 20 year segments, uh, in our lives, um, 20 to, in an adult life, 20 to 40 is that, 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 that season of learning. You're learning who you're not. You're learning who you are. You're obsessed with self-actualization and that kind of thing. And, and, uh, and my advice to people who are 20 to 40 years old is don't typecast yourself, um, you know, focus on faithfulness and where you are in this kind of thing. And then when you get to about 40, end of your 30s to 40 to 60, is that time of leveraging. 
where you're leveraging the gifts and abilities and this kind of thing. You've, you've, you've got some experiences and hopefully some of that experience is begin to transform itself into wisdom. And, uh, and so you're, this is usually the most fruitful time of your life. And then from 60 on is that, that season of leaving. And I don't necessarily mean leaving the ministry or leaving your profession, but you re realize you've got more out of the rearview mirror than you do in front of you. And you know what's noble by this time. And what, you know the difference between a trend and a fad. And you're providing, you're preparing a generation for a time that you cannot see. And it's the enduring stuff. Now, that doesn't specifically answer your question, but it does, it is helpful to understand what season you're in and then what you need to be about. Well, I imagine that you, like me, will find yourself mulling over those concepts, those ideas in the days ahead. Crawford Loritz sharing with us from a book that he's written on leadership called Leadership as an Identity. Again, there are links to his book in our show notes, and you can find out more about Crawford and other books he's written. Now, that is it for this special bonus episode of The Bounce. We'll be back with our regularly scheduled episode here in a few days. We'll be talking with Matt Smithhurst about the proper role and function of deacons in the local church, and I hope you'll join us for that. Let me just say, if you're enjoying The Bounce, would you leave a review or subscribe and be sure to pass a link to this episode along to other pastors or church leaders you may know. I'm Bob Lapine for The Great Commission Collective. We'll see you next time on The Bounce.